Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek Discovery podcast by two moms who write about autism and who also happen to be Star Trek fans. We talk about the new series, compare it with previous versions of Star Trek, and also talk about any autism examples we see along the way. I am your host, Elizabeth. Hi, I'm Vicki. Together, we are Moms Going Boldly. Today, we are starting a series of podcasts exploring the mirror universe in Star Trek, starting with the original series episode, The Tholian Web. Welcome again to Moms Going Boldly. Now that the first season of Star Trek Discovery has ended, Vicki and I were talking about what we wanted to cover next. And we had had requests from listeners to go over the Mirror Universe episodes. And when we discussed it, Vicki and I decided that we wanted to do it in what is effectively chronological order. And that is what the first episode was that took our universe into the Mirror Universe and then every episode that flowed after that. And what that meant was we needed to start with the original series episode, The Tholian Web, because as we learned in the Enterprise episode, Through a Mirror Darkly, the USS Defiant, which disappeared in the episode The Tholian Web, showed up in the Mirror Universe and sort of started the whole Mirror Universe storyline. So for this episode, Vicki and I watched The Tholian Web. How was that for you, Vicki? This, I know that I wanted to start with this one and that being said, this was never one of my favorite episodes. So I was hoping that this time around, as it's related now to Discovery and Enterprise, that I'd like it a little better. I really don't, but it's important because this is how we, the Defiant got into the mirror universe. So. Okay. And we can talk a little bit about what it is that you don't like about this episode as we move through our podcast. I'm going to give a different perspective. This was always one of my favorites. I always loved this episode, even as a kid. So we can talk about that and talk about the comparison and contrasting of what we liked and didn't like. So the story of this episode is the Enterprise is looking for the Defiant. It sent out a distress distress call and hadn't been located. And so the Enterprise is the ship that was looking for it. And they come to a region of space that Spock describes as warped. Uh, There's something going on in this region of space. And they see the Defiant, but they can't read it on their sensors. So they decide to go over and check it out. Four crew members beam beam over. It's the captain and Chekhov and Spock and McCoy. And when they get over to the Defiant, they discover that all the crew is dead. And by the evidence that McCoy is able to find, the crew killed each other. So something happened that the Defiance Doctor could not figure out what was going on, and everyone ended up dead by each other's hands. Then they realize that the ship is not entirely solid. The Dr. McCoy is able to put his hand through a variety of different things, and they realize that this ship is moving into what Spock calls interphase, into another area of space. And Spock does discuss how there are multiple universes, and in some places the universes have 
a weak barrier, I guess, something like that. And in those places, there's interface between the universes. And so that's what was happening in this particular region of space. So they have difficulties with the transporter because of this region of space, and they're only able to beam three of the four back to the Enterprise, leaving Captain Kirk behind. And when they do that, Captain Kirk is lost because the Defiant phases out, it disappears, Captain Kirk was still on board, and he seems to have vanished. So Spock says, no worries, we've got two hours until the next interphase event. We can grab him then. He's got three hours of air in his spacesuit. We, you know, we can grab him in that two-hour time period, so we'll be okay. Meanwhile, the Tholians show up, and the Tholians say this is our space, even though Spock says, no, no, this is open space. And the commander, the Tholian commander, threatens them and starts firing at them, and then Spock fires back. And in doing so, messes up whatever is going on in this interspace moment, and they're unable to retrieve the captain. And so they assume he dies because his air has run out. They can't get him. And so they do a memorial service for him. And as you can imagine, in the leadership vacuum created by Captain Kirk's apparent death, Spock and McCoy kind of go at it. And they're not very supportive of each other and in some cases not very nice to each other. Meanwhile, the Tholians brought back friends... And they are using some kind of filament production devices to create a web around the Enterprise. And so not only have they lost their captain, but now they're being trapped by the Tholians. And they need to get out. And they're in this space. And the space is causing crew members to go crazy. Madness, they're calling it. Bouts of madness. Chekhov is the first. He has madness on the bridge and he has to be taken to the sick bay and he's restrained. And so, you know, they have to get out. After the memorial service, Uhura goes back to her quarters and she's relaxing and she sees the image of Captain Kirk. And she runs out of her quarters and she's trying to find Mr. Spock and McCoy finds her and says, oh no, you must be just experiencing the interphase madness here. Let's take you to the sick bay. And it's not until others on the ship, Scotty and then the entire bridge crew, see the captain that they realize that he's somehow still there, still alive, and they have to figure out how to rescue him. So then they come up with a plan that didn't entirely make sense to me, where they're going to somehow use the ship's power to escape from the web, while at the same time using the tractor beam to hold on to the captain in inner space. And then once they've escaped the web, they beam the captain on board, which is what they did thereby saving him, and all's well that ends well. Another element of the story, which is actually a really good one, is that the captain had left orders for McCoy and Spock in his cabin, and they listened to it, and these are essentially orders telling them how to support each other and how to use each other's gifts and strengths. And then at the end, when the captain said, well, I'm hoping my final orders were helpful, they both pretended like they never heard them. So we're going to talk about that because I wanted to see what you thought about that. And that's the end of the story. It's a pretty simple, straightforward story that winds up with the Defiant in the Mirror Universe. That's how it got, got there through this interface. The Defiant was not rescued. It moved through whatever this gap between universes was and ended up in the Mirror Universe. So uh, what is it that you don't like about this episode? I remember not liking it as a kid. Um, because there just wasn't a lot going on. I mean, I know they're all planning and plotting, but of anything else going on. This time around, 
I just thought, I don't like the way Uhura was portrayed. Yeah, and actually as a kid, I didn't like that. Yeah, she, they, they made her whiny, they made her talk like a child. Yeah, it Nobody was... believed her. Yeah, it was a very sexist presentation of a woman. It was very condescending, yeah. yeah. And um, with McCoy and Spock, I just thought McCoy was a little more... I know they have that kind of relationship. He, he seemed to be overly brutal in his... Uh, I don't know, in the way he talked to Spock or the way he questioned Spock. It makes sense. He was mad because... They were supposed to re-listen to the tape, but then he was mad because he's supposed to be in the lab and he doesn't have all this time. He seemed to contradict himself through the whole thing. They worked very hard to portray that conflict between them. Right, but he was conflicted with himself. He would he was mad at him for one thing, and then when Spock went to the captain's quarters to listen to the tape, then he was mad because he's supposed to be in the lab. <laughs> curing people and he doesn't have time for this and i i don't really understand he did that a lot cranky dr mccoy yeah <laughs> well i'll tell you some of the things that i really liked about it i loved and always have loved the spacesuits that they came up with you know this episode aired in 1968 it was the beginning of the third season which was the last season of star trek and they had received some budget cuts and which is one of the reasons why I think they crafted a story that took place on the sister ship of the Enterprise or a ship that was constructed the exact same way. So they didn't have to have any new, right. you know, sets. I think they must have spent their entire budget on those spacesuits. And the, one of the reasons I really love them is because they really looked like, you know, Mercury astronaut spacesuits or cosmonaut spacesuits they were accurate for the time frame in the 1960s when we were actually sending people in space on in suits that looked like that mm -hmm. though my son said how are they going to breathe it's just a mesh over their face and i said you're supposed to just go with it dear <laughs> another thing i really liked is while i agree i think the way that or and even like i said even as a kid i found the way that ahura was treated to be i think condescending is a really good word I loved the portrayal of her private space and her private self. I love this idea that she could be this professional woman on the bridge and then go back to her quarters, which were designed for her, comfortable for her, and be feminine there and be herself there. I really loved that. I thought it was a wonderful degree of attention to detail in an episode that doesn't have that much detail. Right. I, yeah, I did too. I just found the rest of it. I also really liked the idea of the Tholians. Now, I don't know if you recall that the voice of the Tholian commander, Loskine, was played by Barbara Babcock. Did you know that? Oh, no, I didn't. Yeah, she was the actress who played, I think it was Mia Seven in A Taste of Armageddon. And then she was also the wife in Plato's Stepchildren, I can't remember her name, was it Philomena? But anyway, she did a lot of voiceover work too, voice acting work for Star Trek. She was the voice of the mom in The Squire of Gothos, you know, the flashing mom light come into, yeah. come into dinner. And she did this voice too, which was I thought was kind of cool. And I always really liked the, the, the way the Tholians were portrayed. They were so different. 
and so unique. And I loved, always loved, even as a kid, you know, when what you got to see on the view screen was just such a unique life form. And then the web itself, I always thought was really fascinating. You know, these spaceships, the Tholian ships were small. They were unimpressive compared to the Enterprise. And yet they, through their own creativity and resourcefulness, had their own means of protecting themselves and defending what they thought was their space. I always loved that too. So let's talk about why Spock and McCoy lied to the captain. What, what did, why do you think they did that? I think they didn't want him to think that they came to the conclusion that he was dead, that they gave up on him. Oh, okay. All right. That, that was my thought. See, I kind of thought that maybe it had to do with the fact that they didn't want him to know how right he was about them. And that in a time of crisis, they would be at each other's throats, which is exactly what he predicted and was trying to avoid with his orders. Right. I think he was trying to, I think they were trying to, like, deny that that actually happened. (laughs) That's kind of how I felt. But I like, I also like your take on it, that they didn't want him to think they gave up on him. That's what I thought, yeah. Yeah, that would be a very a very kind and thoughtful thing to do and which is kind of out of the realm of the norm for Spock he did two things in that case he was thoughtful and kind and he lied yeah it was I noticed that too so one of the things that our um one of our listeners asked us to do was to continue to do sort of autism analyses you know pointing out things related to autism and I did have some thoughts about that, and I wanted kind of to talk to you about it because the thoughts were of a, of a somewhat serious nature, and we're recording this podcast just about a week after the shootings in Florida, and you and I are both in the autism community online, and we're seeing a lot of misinformation about tendencies towards violence in autistic people and you know you and I are both doing our best to set the record straight about violence in autistics and so when I was watching the episode and I was watching these moments of where these crew members essentially went mad because of the inner space it made me think of meltdowns because it seemed to come on so suddenly and without warning which sometimes meltdowns can do because neurotypical people don't know of the stressors that are on an autistic person that might finally become overwhelming. But I wasn't sure whether I should raise that because I didn't want to forward or somehow reinforce this misconception that autistics are violent in the way that the violence took place in Florida. What do you think? And and we're having this conversation right now, and if we decide we don't like this, I'm going to delete this entire section. I'm just going to make it go away. What do you think? Your point, exactly. Um, It's a meltdown. Planning out a mass murder is not the same thing. It's unfortunate that people don't understand that. Yeah. Their madness or whatever it was could look like a meltdown, and it does. understand why saying that may give people the wrong impression because it's not the actual act of the meltdown. It's what we're saying is planning 
planning violence is not a characteristic of autism. No, it's really not. I've so, a, a, and in my personal experience, I've never seen that in my child. No. I've seen reactions, and I've seen the you know the culmination of whatever the overload is sensory anxiety whatever that results in meltdowns but never planned yeah you're right and i that distinction is so important whether or not this um i don't even want to say his name but whether or not this individual has autism is not the issue there are obviously other issues and on autism diagnosis certainly did not lead to him 17 people. And another important thing to point out is that most autistic people are the victims of violence, not the perpetrators. Exactly. Because they're bullied, because they're not understood, they're not accepted, and that can result in victimization for them and still doesn't result in violence as a rule. Exactly. So should we keep this in for our listeners? Yeah, I would. Okay. I would. Because I think, it's, um, I think it's something people need to know. Yes. I agree. So any other thoughts about the Tholian web? It's the groundwork. It's the foundational episode that leads us into the mirror universe. Do you have any other thoughts about it? Well, originally, and I had forgotten this because I hadn't seen this in a while. Um, yeah, on to the Defiant, they say... Somebody asks, has there ever been a mutiny? Yeah. I remember that too. And I went ahead and in my head made a distinction because Michael Burnham was convicted of mutiny, but she did not lead a mutiny. Okay. She engaged in mutinous behavior. And so I went ahead and made that distinction in my head when Chekhov asked that question and thought, okay, so... No mutiny that involved the entire crew battling each other, but we did have a mutiny of, we had a mutineer of one person who was then stopped and restrained by the rest of the crew. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) You know, if that's splitting hairs, that's fine, but that's what I went ahead and said, okay, you know, mutiny means a couple of things, and what Chekhov was looking at there was bunches of people attacking each other, and it it's really interesting because the only other reference to mutiny that I can remember, there were a couple of references to mutiny in The Next Generation. There was that episode re- involving the starship Pegasus. Do you remember that one that had yeah. the um, illegal cloaking device? There was a yeah. mutiny on that ship. That's right. And then the episode Allegiances where Captain Picard was removed and put into a situation where he was essentially a, um, a lab rat in an experiment. With the lights? No, no, it's the one where, and he was replaced on the Enterprise with a duplicate that liked to sing in Ted Forward. Remember, remember that one? Second season, maybe? Maybe third season. Anyway, there's a scene in that episode where the the senior staff are all getting together because they're concerned about the captain's behavior, the, the duplicate captain, but they don't know he's been duplicated. And they're talking about what to do about a mutiny. And it becomes clear in that conversation that they could go ahead and mutiny, 
It's not like a violation of Federation rules or Starfleet rules, but they would have to then face a tribunal, which would then determine if the mutiny was legitimate and necessary or not. Which I thought was really fascinating, because it sort of kind of showed a bit of Starfleet law. Yeah, I'm going to have to go back and watch that. It's called, the episode is called Allegiances, and it's a really weak episode, but that particular scene is interesting. Hmm. Just for kind of a world-building thing. Yeah. Okay, anything else we need to talk about for the Tholian web? No, I can't think of anything. Along the lines of this sort of chronological order uh, review that you and I had decided upon, the next episode we're going to watch is we're going to watch both parts of the Enterprise episode in a mirror darkly because it's the next piece of the story that happens after the Defiant emerges in the mirror universe. If you'd like to reach us, I can be reached on my blog, autismmom.com. I could be found at taking it a step at a time at takingstep.com. Links to both of our blogs are in the sidebar of the Moms Going Boldly Podbean podcast website. And we hope you'll join us again for the next episode of Moms Going Boldly. The music on Moms Going Boldly is called Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music, licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license, creativecommons.org. Ross Bugden Music can be found on Twitter at Ross Bugden. <laughs>